Hello and welcome to the All Plane Podcast with the people that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. As usual, before I introduce today's guests, let me remind you that you can find all the previous episodes of this podcast as well as many other aviation stories on the All Plane website. That's allplane.tv. A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E dot TV. Today, we welcome to the show the founder of one of the most ambitious electric aircraft startups out there. Why do I say ambitious? Well, because he's focusing on solving a particularly difficult problem in aviation, but if successful, could potentially pave the way for the electrification of the largest segment in the commercial aviation industry. Rather than trying to build a small regional airliner, Jeff Engler, the founder of Wright Electric, has set his sights on a much larger price the mid-size airliner segment. This is a market that, so far, has been dominated by the likes of the Boeing 737 and the Airbus A320, the workhorses of this industry. But the limitations of current battery technology have, so far, kept these and larger aircraft categories off-limits for the electric flight entrepreneurs. And this may still be the case for quite some time, but Jeff and his team at Wright Electric think that at least part of this market may be ready for electrification much sooner than you expect. Wright Electric is currently working on a 100-seat electric aircraft that, while lacking the range of similarly sized conventional aircraft, may be able to cover busy short-haul routes at a very interesting cost to airlines. In the quest to do so, Wright Electric is exploring some technological options, including some unusual ones, such as aluminum air batteries. Jeff has also enrolled some prominent airlines, such as EasyJet and Mexican low-cost carrier Viva Aerobus, as partners, in order to refine the business case for Wright Electric. So all of this got me really intrigued, and I thought it was time to call Jeff in New York and invite him to join us here on the podcast to talk about this very interesting project. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Hello, Mikhail. I'm great. How are you? Very well. Where are you joining us from today? I'm joining from New York. Uh, New York City. I just flew in from Europe yesterday for the COP26 conference. Oh, nice. Great city, by the way. You're based in New York, right? Uh, Yes, based in New York. Great. Um, Yeah, today we're going to talk about uh, Wright, Wright Electric, because that's a project that really has caught my attention already for quite some time. It's got some, some features that really stand out in the electric aviation space. But first of all, tell us a bit about yourself. You are the founder of Wright Electric, and you've been leading this project already for a number of years. Tell us a bit more about your background and about Wright Electric and how you guys did start this project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm the founder and CEO of Wright Electric. Uh, we started the company about five years ago. We're based, as I said, in New York. And um, our goal is to reduce the climate impact of aerospace. What we know is that 95% of the carbon footprint of aerospace comes from Boeing and Airbus-sized airplanes. And so our focus is on reducing the carbon footprint of that segment, uh, the large airplanes. Mm-hmm. At this point, I, I just would like to stop you for a second because I would like to make a comment here. When you say Boeing and Airbus-sized airplanes, I guess you are thinking about the, let's say, the mid-size segment, the A320 family, the Boeing 737 family, right? Yeah, that's correct. That's exactly right. Yep. The 737 and A320 family that goes from, let's say, 90 or 100 passengers all the way up to 200 or 220 passengers. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying that, I'm, I'm highlighting this because when I said that you, your project really stands out in, the, in this space, in the, in the, among the, like the, let's say the crowd of, of entrepreneurs that are trying to electrify aviation, is that most of the effort is going into the smaller uh, segments of the market, particularly the up to 19 seats, because there are some obviously some regulatory matters there and some technical issues as well when it comes to electrifying aviation. But you have chosen a, a segment that obviously is very large, but it's also quite challenging from the technological point of view. What else can you tell us about your project from a technical point of view? What is right electric? What sort of prototypes are you working on? How are you conducting all this effort? Yep. So what airlines tell us is. If, if there's going to be a replacement for uh, the 737 or A320 family, this airplane needs to have three qualities. Number one, it has to fly at jet altitudes. Number two, it has to fly at jet speeds. And number three, it has to have 100 or more passengers. And that's so that this future airplane fits within their existing business model. And right um, over the last three years, built the world's most powerful aerospace-grade propulsion motor. It's two megawatts, which is nearly 3,000 horsepower. It's four times more powerful than anything else that's out there on the market. And it's about three times more power dense. And because we built the world's most powerful motor, we can build the world's most powerful retrofit. And what we announced uh, uh, earlier this month is that we are converting a 100-passenger regional jet to be zero emissions for one-hour flights. Uh, And one-hour flights are some of the busiest routes in the world. For example, Seoul to Jeju in South Korea carries 15 million passengers each year, generally with 737s and A320s. So we know this is a, a major market opportunity, and it's a great way for us to enter the market. Yeah, indeed. It's, it's a huge market. And all these planes that you mentioned are like the war horses of the industry. Uh, but are you, are you guys designing the whole, the whole airplane? So from what I understand, you've been creating these motors, but you are also taking care of all the rest. So the airframes, uh, integrating these motors, the, the power plant, everything. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we're, we're taking an existing airplane which allows us to reduce the regulatory burden. We can do a supplemental type certificate rather than a, uh, a type certificate or a traditional new airplane type certificate. And mm-hmm. our company builds motors and inverters um, and a few other components within the system. And then we're working with partners in other areas like for the uh, power distribution and power management and things like that. But this, this is a really like a huge technological undertaking. How did you start with such an ambitious goal? I mean, are you, you guys are a startup, right? Are you, are you funded by private capital? I know you, you also are a part of some government research initiatives that are funded by the government, right? With uh, ARPA-E, I think it's one of them. You've been working with NASA, Defense Yeah, that's, as well. that's correct. Yeah, so we're, we're funded by numerous government agencies, uh, NASA, the U.S. Department of Energy, the U.S. Army, the U.S. Air Force, uh, and we're funded by uh, private corporations, uh, private uh, corporations and investors as well. Mm-hmm. And um, the way we started was, was by... Um, um, you know, when you're small and you don't have a lot of money, 
you know, you, you can't even build a prototype. Maybe you just uh, do the, the computer designs um, and then you get more money and then you can do a prototype and then you get more money and can do, you know, a prototype testing on an actual airplane. So mm-hmm. the engineering approach we've taken is always to start small, start with science um, and, and build from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where are you now? How, how much of this project is already a tangible reality? And how much is, gonna, is expected to happen in the next few years? Because you recently announced a time frame for some of these um, technology to come in line. You are re- retrofitting this BAE 146, 100-seater aircraft. And I saw the time frame, I think you mentioned you expecting this aircraft called the Wright Spirit to be able to fly already by 2026. So that's in, in a five-year time period. Where are you now? And what are the next steps in, in, this, in this project? Absolutely. Um, working, backwards, uh, or working backwards from 2026, we intend for the Wright Spirit aircraft, the BAE 146 retrofit, to target entry into service in 2026. This year and next year, so 2021 and 2022, we're doing testing on the ground. And then in 2023, we'll begin testing on the aircraft uh, in the air. And one of the benefits of the BAE-146 aircraft is it has four engines. So in the beginning, we'll do one electric motor with three of the existing jet engines. Then in 2024, we'll do two electric motors and two jet engines. 2025, we'll do all four electric motors. And then 2026, we're targeting entry into service. So it's a stepwise um, engineering approach to reduce risk. So what can you tell us about the technology that you are using? Because you've got on your website, you've got um, an interesting paper. I'm going to post a link on the show notes. There, there's Thank lots you. of technical details there. But I'm not an expert in, in the technical aspects of aircraft propulsion. Um, so I was hoping you could explain us a little bit how all this system works and what are the challenges. So you are designing this very powerful electric motor, but this electricity can be generated in, in different ways. And if I understand correctly, it's still not settled what's going to be the underlying technology that is going to be powering these electric motors. It could be either a hydrogen fuel cell or, and something that caught my eye, it's an aluminum air technology. Can you tell us a bit more about those options and what, what does this technology involve? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before I start, you know, there's the, there's the underlying technology itself but then there's the infrastructure of the market uh, as well. Um, you know, there's the, there's the technology that goes in the airplane, but then there's everything that goes around it to make it possible. And so the reason we haven't picked one technology is that the decision isn't only just about us. It's about what will be available in the airports, um, what will be available um, for zero emissions a technology in the 2026 timeframe. We, we know that hydrogen um, has, has a large potential to be the future um, of, of aerospace uh, energy storage. Um, the concern, though, is the time frame. Is it going to be you know, ready in two years? Will it be ready in four years, in 10 years? Um, and what about uh, infrastructure on the ground? And so the, the, the reason we're spending the next 12 months in what we're calling a joint technical assessment phase or known as a JTAP, a Joint Technical Assessment Phase, which is a pretty common industry term, is that we're using the next 12 months 
to evaluate not only the technology, but also the market readiness and the infrastructure. And, you know, as you mentioned, we, we see two major opportunities that could get us to ultra lightweight energy storage. One is hydrogen, and then the other, um, as you mentioned, is aluminum air or aluminum fuel cells. Um, and if you like, I'm happy to share a little bit more about, um, about each of those. Yeah, please do. Um, I think, well, I'm personally more familiar with the, the hydrogen fuel cell because that's a solution that it's being used in, in other projects that I have got the chance to get acquainted with. Uh, but it's, a, it's really the first time I come across this aluminum uh, fuel cell. Uh, but if you could give us a little summary of both, that, that would be great. And, and then also, um, I need to add as well, you also contemplate the possibility of having uh, some sort of backup that would be powered by uh, conventional jet fuel or, or sustainable jet fuel. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, when we talk about making a zero emissions flight, you know, our ultimate goal is for the entire flight to be completely zero emissions. But one thing that we're exploring right now is, you know, every airplane, let's say it's targeting a one hour flight, let's say 400 nautical miles, then, then you also have to have extra uh, energy on board for reserves, you know, in case you have to go to a different airport or in case there's, you know, bad weather in one airport. So one of the things that we're looking at is, is could we do zero emissions for the flight uh, and then have the reserves be powered by some sort of uh, sustainable or synthetic jet fuel, something mm -hmm. like that. That's just to answer and address your first question. But that, um, that fuel, is it going to be powering some sort of generator that's going to power the electric motor? Yeah, exactly motors? right. It okay. would power a generator. Yep, okay. exactly so right. It would I mean, still... we're working with um, a company making a very lightweight generator. Mm -hmm. So it's going to still be the, the electric motors, just that the source, the primary source of energy would be, in that case, would be fuel during those critical moments that, where some backup might be needed. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then again, this is this is backup like during reserves, you know, like let's say yeah. you, um, you're, the flight is scheduled London to Paris and then there's bad weather in Paris, you have to fly to um, an airport near Paris, something like that. So, um, sorry, just a little detour here. Um, back to the two fuel cell options that you are contemplating. What are the pros and the cons? And what's your view uh, on, on each of them? Yeah, uh, so... Just, to, just for, for folks who aren't as familiar with aluminum air or aluminum fuel cell um, systems, um, aluminum as a material is the most common metal on Earth. It's one of the most common materials on Earth. Um, it, it's very lightweight. It's very abundant. Uh, it's very inexpensive as well. And for our purposes, the main benefit is that it also stores a lot of energy uh, in a very lightweight and very volumetrically small package. When you mix uh, raw aluminum or, or sort of base aluminum with oxygen, uh, it essentially gives off electricity. And in an aluminum battery, um, you harness electricity from that uh, reaction of oxygen uh, with aluminum. And so in terms of the advantages and disadvantages, let's say if you're comparing a hydrogen fuel cell to an aluminum fuel cell, um, hydrogen is going to be more lightweight um, but then hydrogen is also volumetrically very large. Uh, you need very large tanks, even if it's in liquid form. So aluminum is going to be a little bit less lightweight or maybe a little bit heavier, but volumetrically, it'll be a lot smaller. Um, and then from a cost perspective, aluminum is expected to be a little bit less expensive um, and easier to maintain um, than hydrogen. So um, when you look at a new airplane that's sort of designed from scratch, Hydrogen looks more and more like a great solution because you can redesign the airplane to deal with all of that large volume 
Uh, imagine, for example, like the, the Airbus airplane, the Airbus Beluga. Um, basically, you can have a much more volumetrically large airplane to take those tanks. But for a retrofit airplane, um, and especially considering entry into service in 2026, that's really where we're where we're sort of looking at both and seeing what might be uh, the best entry into market solution. Two things that come to mind when mentioning this aluminum. Uh, one of them is I, I read those white papers um, that are on, on your website. I, I, I did some additional research as well. What I've seen is that because of the, the features of this technology, you, you need to replace the battery after a certain number of flight hours or recharge cycles. So you would then need to have some sort of logistics in place where basically the, the plane would get there and the, the battery would be replaced. The, the second question is how you make sure that aluminum that is used in this process is sustainable as well, because it's, it's uh, the process, as you mentioned, it's a very abundant in, the, um, in our planet, but the process to obtain aluminum from ore, it's quite energy intensive. So if those sources of energy are not clean, then it's kind of a self-defeating situation. Um, yeah, that's a great question. So your first question, I think, is about sort of the, the underlying operations you know what do you do if you when you're when you need to recycle these airplanes with these these batteries um and you know the, the you're absolutely right these are not batteries that you like that you, that you plug into the wall like if you think of a typical um you know lithium-ion battery these are batteries that have to be mechanically recycled at a plant um, and you can either have a plant you know at the airport or you can have a plant um you know a couple hundred kilometers away um, and you drive to it but um, if you look at both hydrogen and um, aluminum, many people are looking at the idea of, of producing this, this sustainable hydrogen or sustainable aluminum um, away from the airport, which requires logistics on the ground to deliver tanks or to deliver um, aluminum. In terms of making it zero emissions, at least with, with aluminum, um, about 60 to 70 percent of the carbon footprint of aluminum comes from electricity. And we know that we can shift to green um, electricity, things like uh, wind and, and nuclear and solar. Um, and then the other 30 to 40 percent comes from other parts of the process. Uh, for example, there's uh, carbon dioxide uh, released when uh, in the process of doing the mechanical recycling. And uh, there's already a number of companies that are working on um, uh, creating uh, low emissions versions of that technology. In fact, the American company Alcoa is working with Apple, uh, the computer company, to build uh, zero emissions aluminum. So it's a very exciting research space, and I think there's a lot of opportunities there. Mm -hmm. um, what, what would be the path to certify uh, such an aircraft? Is it very complicated? Um, yeah, the, the certification pathway is, um, is, is, is very it's, it's daunting. Um, it's difficult, it's complicated, and you know we feel that that's what's necessary uh, to maintain safety. So the certification process is something we think is, is necessary, and we're very happy to work with regulators um, on certification. And it's, we're going to be pursuing what's called an, a supplemental type certificate, or an SPC. So when you, when you have a new airplane, you do a type certificate uh, for, for a new type of, of aircraft, um, and for a retrofitted airplane, you do a supplemental type certificate. And that's what we'll be pursuing here for an STC or a supplemental type certificate. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be for the uh, right spirit, that uh, one we mentioned, the, the, the very first 
iteration, to call it some way. Yeah, but correct. You ha- but you have plans to scale this up, right? Uh, so this this first plane based on the BAE 146 for 100 passengers, that would be the first step. Then the, the next step, I think with a time horizon of 2030, according to your website, would be the uh, the one you call the right one. And that would be a larger aircraft already designed to compete directly face-to-face with uh, A320, 737s, right? Yeah, that's correct. Although one thing I would note is that we're starting to get interest from other airplane companies to use our motors to retrofit their planes. So there might be another interim step. Maybe we start with a BAE 146. And then there's other companies um, that we've been speaking to about retrofitting their airplanes as well, um, mm-hmm. because our propulsion system is designed for basically very large airplanes. Um, there's a number of companies that uh, we've been speaking to about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how would this scaling work? Um, you Originally, you have the BAE 146. It's going to have, it's going to have, uh, it's a four engine plane. So you, I guess you're going to have four, two megawatt engines. And, and then you have plans to, to scale the size of, of these electric motors, I think up to four megawatts. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So, so we will, we will need to scale up, um, scale up the size of the motor somewhat, but you know, not by a factor of three or four, by a factor of, you know, 25% more, 50%, maybe, maybe a hundred percent larger, but um, uh, you know, for different applications. And we need to both scale up the, uh, the motors and we need to scale up the energy storage um, so that our airplanes can, we can fly basically larger numbers of passengers, longer distances. What do you think is a realistic goal in terms of range and capacity payload? Uh, you mentioned originally there's this goal of being able to fly this 100 passengers for one hour. Is that the end goal? I guess you're planning to uh, reach uh, longer distances, right? And, and with, with yeah, so heavier payloads. One of the things that we know is that um, the 737 and the A320, 50% of their flights are shorter than 800 miles. And so, so that's really our target. Our target is the 737 A320 market for flights shorter than 800 miles. And we're looking at both retrofitted airplanes maybe to enter the market and then eventually our own clean sheet airplanes that we'll work on with partners for the, you know, for, for larger airplanes going even longer distances. But that's really our market, 737 A320 market. And it's um, flights going, going shorter than 800 miles which represents mm-hmm. 50% of the flights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and actually here, it's where I, I kind of put myself in the, in the position of the airline and, and think, how does this impact the uh, fleet planning and thinking about the, the fleet composition in the future? Um, how much is conditions an airline when it, it needs to plan the schedules and destinations? Uh, you've got partners like EasyJet, like Viva Aerobus, uh, with whom I think you are uh, sharing data and exchanging information. So those are kind of, let's say, long-term partners. Is that something we, we could say? Um, what, what's the feedback you are getting? Because I guess this has some very serious implications for, for the way airlines do their fleet planning, particularly when we're talking uh, 10 years' time. It's, it's not so much in the aviation industry. Uh, th- those, are, those are all great points. Um, so... When we talk with airlines, um, what we're hearing is they're they're desperate for a true zero emissions option, um, both for climate reasons and for cost reasons. Um, you know, uh, industry associations are talking about shifting to 
uh, net zero carbon emissions by 2050. So net zero usually means things like synthetic aviation fuels and carbon offsets. But one of the things that people don't, don't mention is the fact that today, synthetic aviation fuels are three to five times more expensive than uh, traditional fuels. And the reason that's important is because uh, of the business model of a typical airline. So in a typical airline, 20 to 30% of their costs are fuel, and they tend to have profit margins, uh, operating margins below 10%. So 20% of your costs, now those are at risk of, of increasing by a factor of four. Um, uh, that could completely uh, eliminate your profit margin as an airline, which then means you have to start charging more money and that you know, creates catastrophic um, effects. So airlines are, are desperately looking for a, a true zero emissions option that's much less expensive than synthetic, synthetic fuels. And both um, hydrogen and aluminum powered airplanes have the potential to be dramatically less expensive, even coming close to cost parity with today's airplanes or potentially even, even being cheaper in the future. So we see, you know, from an airline perspective, yes, you know, they, they won't be able to fly as long a distance um, as, um, as what they do with the 737. Um, but number one, you know, you might see new airlines that are sprouting up just to target these shorter flights. Um, or you might see the same airlines adopting uh, new airplanes because it allows them to dramatically lower their costs compared to uh, synthetic aviation fuels or even compared to the fees and taxes that might come on by using traditional uh, jet fuel. Mm -hmm. So operational costs are expected to be lower even compared to conventional. Everything depends on the cost of fuel in the future, right? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be, you know, we use gallons in the States. Is it $2 a gallon? Is it going to be $5 a gallon? Mm -hmm. um, but then you have to think about landing fees and costs for things like offsets. Um, I think one of the things that regulators do that's really important is they're, they're starting to essentially take the real costs of flying and they're starting to put those into the, into the tickets, um, which makes it more economically compelling to true. shift to true zero emissions technology. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, we, 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 we can expect to see some changes here in the, in the landscape, in the cost landscape in the in coming years, I guess, um, as governments try to incentivize this, this transition. Um, what about the, the OEMs, the Airbuses, the Boeings, and Embraers? Um, are you talking with them? Why wouldn't they do this type of uh, technology development themselves um, now that they are exploring different options to to make their aircraft greener. What's the relationship with them? Yeah, I mean, so look, within, within a company like Airbus or Boeing, there's always going to be, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of people who are pushing for um, new technologies such as zero emissions technology. Um, but, but unfortunately, you know, and this isn't, this isn't their fault, it's the nature of a, of a company that has existing technology to want to continue to, to make money off of their existing technology. So, you know, Boeing, they developed the 737 50 years ago, and they're still making a ton of money on the 737. Why would they want to change to something new that, that's high risk? They would, they would always sort of uh, generally prefer to, to continue to make money on their existing airplanes, which is the same as, you know, Airbus. It's the same as the existing jet engine companies, all of that. So what our advantage here is that we don't have the legacy technology. We know that we have a, an advantage from an environmental and from a you know from a cost perspective, but we're not burdened by the same legacy technology that these other companies are burdened by. And so that's what really gives us an opportunity. Um, 
we, you know, I can't talk about conversations we're having with um, the airplane manufacturers, but we know that, uh, you know, the publicly everyone's looking at zero emissions technology. And, um, you know, that's something that um, we hope they, they do more of in the future. Because are you planning to manufacture all this technology yourselves or you're going to operate through contractors doing the, let's say, the physical hands-on work of making it? What's the plan? I guess you need quite a lot of investment, right, to turn this into a, a, a manufacturing operation. Yeah, you know, I mentioned this, this earlier, but we, we've been fortunate in that, you know, we're operating in a space where there's a very large potential uh, commercial market. You know, there's expected to be um, $4 trillion worth of Boeing and Airbus 737 A320 airplanes purchased over the next 20 years. Um, and this is, you know, this is a seismic shift in the industry. It's, it's a major, major shift in the industry. So we've been fortunate that, um, you know, as we have needed to expand our funding in order to, you know, go from a design to a prototype or go from a prototype to an airplane, um, we've been able to attract that funding. And that's also partially because we're working with partners. You know, we, for example, announced last week that we're beginning this joint technical assessment phase with both Honeywell and Eagle Pitcher. And each of them, these are, you know, these are large companies uh, that are committed to, to building next generation technologies. And so, it, you know, it's not only us, it's also a number of other companies in the space that we get to work with. When it comes to the, the airlines, I guess, obviously, you are talking with... Um some of them. Can you tell us a bit more about your relationship with uh, EasyJet, uh, which was, I think, the first, the, the first uh, sort of like large partner that, that you presented, I think, early on, a few years ago. And, and now you have also Viva Aerobus from Mexico is, is another partner that you have. What's your relationship with those airlines? Yeah, absolutely. You know, where we are right now, the most important thing that we need is um, setting requirements. So, for example, um, uh, what are the requirements in terms of uh, range, in terms of payload, in terms of uh, pilot needs? So I think that there's um, that that's that's the core of our relationship is 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 essentially building the best possible product. And um, you know we're also working with other airlines as well, uh, cargo operators and other things like that, um, in order to understand their requirements and put those into our airplane. Mm-hmm. So you're working with other, you're, you're talking with other airlines as well, but not just these two? Huh? Uh, yes, I just can't announce anything publicly okay. right now. Okay, fair enough. Um, what can we expect in the near future? I mean, you had these big announcements on uh, last week when you were at COP26, you were personally there. Um, is there any other uh, next step you can announce publicly at this stage? Uh, nothing more we can announce there, but I, what I would say is the, you know, What's going to shift this industry is building building the technology um, and proving it in the market. And so right now we're in technology development, and um, we need to to test this uh, this megawatt class motor on the ground, and then we need to test it in the air. Um, and what you'll see um, in the next year or so is more technology updates and announcements um, as we reach new technology milestones. Um, just one more more thing before we wrap up: the right one, which is the larger the larger concept that you have in the works. Is this going to be uh, like a, a clean sheet aircraft uh, designed from, from scratch? Or is it going to be also um, a, a retrofit of an existing type? 
You know, one of the benefits of the aerospace industry is there's there's so much existing technology out there. So, for example, when you think of like uh, Tesla, you know, they didn't have to redesign, uh, for example, the tires. Um, they were able to work with existing tires. And, you know, when we look at airplanes, even if it's a clean sheet airplane, we think that, you know, up to, uh, let's say, let's say 50% of the plane um, is going to come from existing technology that's out there. Now, there is a lot of work that has to happen um, in terms of the propulsion system and things like that, but we're going to be able to benefit from, you know, airframes, composite structures, landing gear, avionics, uh, control systems. There's a lot that we're going to be able to, to stand on the shoulders of and benefit from so that even though it's a clean sheet airplane, um, there, there's, it, it's building off of the, the existing industry. So people that want to learn more about Wright Electric and the projects you're working on, what's the best way to find more information? I would say, of course, the website. Are you on, on social media? Are you on other platforms as well where people can, can follow you, your progress? Um, we, I think the best way is um, to subscribe to our newsletter. So we have a couple thousand people um, who you know, we send uh, specialized updates to, mostly engineering, but sometimes other announcements as well. And you can sign up on our uh, website, and that's, that's the best way to, um, to get the latest news. By the way, the website is weflyright.com. I'm going to post a link. Yeah, that's correct. And that's also where you can, uh, you can find our white paper. Um, mm -hmm. And so thanks for linking to that um, in, the, in the notes. Indeed. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. It's been fascinating to learn about this very, very ambitious project. I wish you all, all the best because it's, it's definitely very, very challenging. But I'm, you know, rooting for you guys to succeed because that would be really, really a, a major, major step forward. Um, I really appreciate you scheduling this um, and inviting me onto the show. And I just want to say thank you so much. You are welcome. And you are welcome to come on the show any other time, whenever you want to, uh, to share some news or, or some progress that you guys are making. So uh, all the best. And thank you very much. Absolutely. Hope you have a good day. See you. Bye. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you are using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much and see you soon.